Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Josh Gonzalez. I want to share a message with you guys called HODL. Now you're probably looking at that word thinking, pastor spelt the word wrong. And I remember as I was preparing the sermon, my wife, she came by my laptop and she saw the word HODL and she said, honey, you spelt the word hold wrong. And some of you are probably thinking the same thing. I'm going to explain what that's about in a moment, but before we do that, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, Lord, this morning we're here, Father, simply because we need you. We're here because we realize, Father, that there is a hole inside our hearts that only you can fill. Father, we're here because we're in need of healing. We're here because we need your love. We need your grace. We need your mercy, Lord. Father, we recognize that without you, we are nothing. Lord, I know without you, I am nothing. I cannot even preach a sermon, Father, if you are not speaking through me. And so, Lord, at this moment, I pray, just empty me of myself. Empty each one of us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Speak to us, Father. Help us to leave church this morning different than how we came in. We pray and we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anybody heard this term before, HODL? Some of you may have. It's actually become one of the most common used words in the last couple of years. And the term HODL or the word HODL actually came about in 2013, even though it's been most widely used and known just in the last couple of years. In 2013 is when the word was formed. But before we go there, does anyone have any idea, maybe just even based on the image there of what it could be about? You see some lines on the back there? Some are going up, some are going down. You know what those lines represent? They represent the markets. But more in particular, the word HODL is related to the crypto market. Has anyone heard of cryptocurrency? A lot of people saying that this is the currency of the future. In 2013, there was a big Bitcoin crash and people were panicking. And because of that, they ended up putting together this forum online and all these people, because there's many more people today that are investing in Bitcoin and crypto than there were back in 2013. But in 2013, most of the people that were involved in Bitcoin, they got together on an online forum and the story goes that there was a man on there and according to the story, he was a little bit inebriated. He had been drinking some stuff that wasn't you know, juice anymore. And he started talking, and as people were talking about the crash, and one of the things that happens uh, in stocks and in cryptocurrency is when you invest a lot of money into something and it starts to crash, people start to panic because you see your investment disappearing. And it's something that people usually do when that's happening, and it's called panic buying. Oh, sorry, panic selling. It's panic selling, not buying. Panic selling. And so people, because they start panicking, they start to sell. And a lot of the time, they end up losing their investment because they sell at a much lower price than they had bought. And one of the things that they say these days is that the markets, they go up and down. You've got to ride it out. And this guy was on that forum. And as everyone was panicking, apparently, he was supposed to say, I'm going to hold my Bitcoin 
But because he was a little bit drunk, as the story goes, he wrote hodl instead. And what he was basically saying is, I'm not going to sell, panic sell, I'm going to hold on to it. But that word, somehow, it be, you know how on the internet things become viral and it becomes a meme? That word became like a viral thing and everyone started sharing it. And then they actually looked at it and used it as an um, acronym, HODL. And what HODL became to, to be known as is to hold on for dear life. Hold on for dear life. And now it's become an actual word. And HODL means to preserve your coins even if their price is rapidly going down. And so today, if you know, you're involved in, in stocks or, or investing in the crypto world and there are crashes, you're going to see people putting videos out and they're saying, you need to hodl. You need to hodl. What is hodl? You need to hold on for dear life. In other words, whatever you do, don't sell. Don't get scared and sell and lose your investment. Hold on to it. At some point, they say, the markets are going to come back. You'll recuperate your money. But if you panic sell now, you lose it. Hold on. For dear life. We're living in interesting times, aren't we? I would say we're living in very exciting times. Now, to be honest, I believe that the current state of the world and the things that we see happening around us, only a Christian who believes in Jesus, believes in the second coming of Christ, and believes the prophecies of the scripture, really in the current world climate that we face at the moment, can turn around and say, I'm excited. Right? Because take yourself out of that for a second. There's not much to be excited about, is there? Economies crashing, diseases are spreading. There's talk about, you know, Putin is going to end up nuking some country. There's going to be a nuclear war and the, our way of life as we know it is, is going to disappear and there's going to be food shortages. And that's the stuff you hear all the time, isn't it? That doesn't sound very exciting, but as a Christian, we're excited. Why? Because we understand that these are signs that were prophesied in the scripture that tell us that Jesus is coming back soon. Amen. That's why we're excited. I've been analyzing the world and, you know, like most of you have, and, and just looking at the things that are happening and looking at the signs. And I came across this, this, this phrase uh, so many times. And I remember one time I was listening to somebody say, hold on for dear life. And I had this kind of moment, this light bulb moment. It's like, what am I holding on to for dear life? As a Christian, as, as a believer in, in Christ, as a follower of Jesus, as a believer in the Bible, in the prophecies, what am I holding on for dear life? Is my hopes, is my joy, is it found in this world and what this world can give me? Or is it found in the world to come and the promises that I'm given by Jesus in the word? I want to share a few things with you this morning. We're going to come back to this idea of holding on for dear life. And we're going to see why I'm, I'm even speaking about it this morning. This is not a sermon on investing in crypto. This is a sermon investing in eternity. Amen. And you're going to see that soon. But turn with me for a moment, if you have your Bibles, to Matthew 24. I'm excited. In about two weeks' time, there's a special guest coming to preach, Pastor Lyle Southwell. Some of you guys know him very well. Uh, he is the pastor that the Lord used to bring me to the church. 
And uh, Pastor Lyle is an expert on Bible prophecy. He's done many documentaries, TV things, he's on the radio, all of that. He's coming in a couple of weeks and he's going to be sharing a message with us more in depth about the signs of the times that we're living in. So I'm really excited. If you're around in two weeks, make sure that you don't miss that one. But I want to turn to Matthew 24 for a second. Matthew 24 is one of the most important prophetic chapters in the whole Bible. This chapter of prophecy is so important because this is Jesus himself telling us what the signs are going to be like in the end of time before he comes back. We see the chapter start off with the disciples wanting to know and they're asking Jesus, they're saying, teacher, tell us what will the signs be? And Jesus starts talking, but the first thing he says before he gets into the signs of the end of times, he tells them about something that's going to happen soon for them. Because where they were at that time, they were at the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem. And he points to the temple and he says to them, not one stone will remain on top of another. He tells them that at some point soon, the temple that they see, this most important building for them, for their religion, for their beliefs, is going to be destroyed. And as history tells us, it was indeed destroyed not too long after that. But as they keep talking, they say, what are the signs going to be before you come back? And Jesus starts to name a number of signs. Now, we're not going to go through those signs so much today. But one of the things that I want to bring your attention to is the one thing that Jesus repeats more than anything will be a major issue. Something for us to look out for in the end of times. He repeats it three times in this chapter. And we find it first in verse Four. Now, verse 4 is really when Jesus starts speaking about the end time signs. And look what he says there in verse 4. In Matthew 24 and verse 4, he says, and Je- it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one what? Deceives you. This morning in the Sabbath school, we had a great study and we were talking about deception, really how it all started in the Garden of Eden when, the, um, when Lucifer, uh, Satan disguised as a, as a serpent, you know, deceived Eve. And then that's how deception came into this world. And we see through that chapter that, you know, the devil, the way that he works, he's very, very shifty. You know, we're told in the book of Ephesians by the apostle Paul that we are to put on the whole armor of God. And he says, put on the whole armor of God so that you may protect yourselves from the, and he mentions this word wiles, W-I-L-E-S, the wiles of the devil. Does anybody know what that means? Wiles? Tricks? Yeah, but it's deeper than that. That's the first thing we think. It has to do with the way he tricks us, right? If you go to the dictionary and you look up the word wiles, you know what it says? It says this, cunning and devious strategies employed in order to persuade someone to do what one wants. Just think about that for a second. Manipulation, deception at its highest level. That's the way he works. And Jesus tells us that in the end of days, because understand this, As Christians, we know time is short. Amen? Amen. But guess who also knows time is short? And that's why the Bible says that in the last days, he's going to come with great wrath because he knows there is a short time left. And so in the end of times, deception is going to increase like we have never seen it before. And this is why Jesus, the very first thing he says when he's asked by his own disciples, what's going to happen at the end before you come back? He says very Um, Clearly from the beginning, he just says, take heed that no one deceives you. 
And he starts naming a bunch of things that will happen. Look what he says in the very next verse. In verse 5, he says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will what? Deceive many. I don't know if you're aware, but there are many people in the world today that are claiming to be Jesus, that are claiming to be Christ, that are claiming to be the Messiah. And if you go and you go on YouTube and you start looking at some of these characters, you find them in every continent of the world. And the scary thing is, is that some of these guys have got thousands upon thousands of believers. Now, I wasn't able to get most of them, but this is just a few of them that are out there at the moment. The guy in the middle up the top is an interesting character because he's actually Australian. He's got a compound out in Queensland, and he has thousands and thousands of followers that live out there with him, and he claims to be Jesus, and he claims that his wife, is, her name is Mary, and they claim to be the actual Jesus and Mary of the Bible. Not Mary the mum. he claims that his wife is Mary Magdalene. Jesus told us that in the end of times, many will come saying, I am the Christ, and will what? Deceive many. That's why Jesus goes on to tell us, and he says, when somebody comes to you and he says, Jesus is found over here, or Jesus is in that field, or Jesus is in that house, don't believe them, because the Bible makes it clear that when Jesus does come back, every eye will see him. The Bible says like lightning from the east to the west, everyone, no one is going to miss the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's not going to be hidden in some room. He's not going to be found in some field. He's not going to be found on some compound. Every eye will see him. And he makes a point to tell us that because he knew that in the last days, many people, and this is the thing, you know, we need to understand something about people that believe followers like that. The reason why these men uh, that, that, that are out there deceiving people are so successful is because the reality is, is that inside of us, we are longing for God. There is a God-sized hole inside each and every one of us that only God can fill. And people are looking, people are searching. And Jesus says, listen, Satan knows this. And he's going to take advantage of this. So be careful in the last days that you are not deceived because many will come and they will be saying, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Jesus says, don't believe them. They will, they're trying to deceive you. He goes on to say in verse 11 of Matthew 24, he says, then many false prophets will rise up and what? Deceive many. These false prophets are people that are coming in the name of God. They claim to have a special message. And the way that you can determine whether they're false prophets or not is that their message will be charismatic. It will be interesting. It will be captivating. But it will go against what the Bible teaches. And when it goes against what Scripture clearly teaches, that's how we identify them to be false prophets. And the Bible says, Jesus says, that many false prophets, many will rise up. Because Satan understands. And you see, right now, this is like the best time for the devil to do this. Because I don't know about you guys, but as a Christian, I'm finding myself having a lot more spiritual conversations with my non-Christian friends than I have ever before. These last two years and the things that have been happening in the world are causing people to ask questions. People want to know. People are seeking truth. And Satan knows that. 
And so he's going to make many false prophets. They're already here. They're already in the world and many more will come. But how will we know if they're from God or not? The only way to determine that is by knowing the scriptures. That's why we need to, you can't just trust what the preacher is saying up the front. You need to go back and make sure that everything the preacher is saying is in the Bible. And you see, this problem with false prophets and false Christ, Jesus tells us, it's going to start off by them preaching messages that are going to be attracting people, right? But look at what's going to happen later on. In verse 24, he says, For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even who? The elect. You see, the deception in the end of time is going to be so great that the Bible says that even the children of God are susceptible to that deception. If they are not careful, they too can fall into the deception. And the way that the devil is going to do this is he's going to empower these false Christs and these false prophets with great signs and wonders. You know, one of the things that, that you see when you talk to people sometimes, no matter how crazy their stories may be, when they've seen something, you can't convince them otherwise. And when the devil makes miracles happen, when Satan makes signs and wonders, people are going to see that and they're going to take that as evidence that that is from God. That is real because the, these signs and wonders, you need to understand, are going to be things that human beings cannot do. They're going to be supernatural events. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, go there with me for a second. The Apostle Paul also tells us about this and he gives us some more information in 2 Corinthians and he says this, he says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. You need to understand that it's very easy for Satan to transform himself into an angel of light because he was created as an angel of light. The word Lucifer that was Satan's name before he became Satan. He was created as an angel, a perfect being named Lucifer. The very word Lucifer means light bearer. You know this, these, uh, these pictures that people draw of the devil? This ugly creature that's got this big, long, red, pointy tail. Have you seen that with the pitchfork? And he looks ugly. Or what about, have you ever seen those pictures of the, the Garden of Eden and you see the tree. They always put apples on that tree for some reason. The Bible doesn't mention apples, right? They always have an apple tree. But I remember I've seen so many pictures of the tree and there's this ugly, just shifty looking snake on that tree. And you think to yourself, if that's what he really looked like, do you think he would have been able to deceive Eve like that? Right? He looked like the type of being that like you look at it, you cross the road, you walk on the other side. That's not what he looks like. He transforms himself into an angel of light. He makes himself look like he is of God. That's how he deceives. We need to be very careful because we're told that in the end times that we're living in right now, the deception is going to be unlike we have ever experienced before. And Paul tells us that 
He is so powerful, he transforms himself into an angel of light. How else do you think he's going to be able to deceive Christians? By making them think that he is of God. And he says, therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. You know, the Bible gives us a great description of how we can tell if someone is of God or not. The Bible says, by their fruits you shall what? You shall know them. These are the two things that God has given us. One, the fruits. We can see by their actions whether they are of God or not. But the other one, the most important one, is, is what they preach, is what they teach according to what the Bible says or not. Those are the two things that God has given us as a defense for the deceitful attacks of the enemy in the end times. Timothy tells us a little bit more. If we go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, this is where it starts to get a little bit more personal for us. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says, verse 1, that in latter times, the end times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And look what it says here in verse 3. For the time will come, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. And listen to this, because they have what? What's those two words? They have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So far, Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Timothy are telling us that in the end times, there are going to be serious problems with deception. But what we're learning is that those that are with the Lord, those that are members of the church, those that are children of God are not immune from this deception. Because we're told by the Apostle Paul that even the elect... Right? We're told by Timothy that some that are in the faith, like if Timothy, if Timothy is saying here that some will depart from the faith, what does that imply? They were in the faith. These are Bible-believing Christians. These are people that come to church. These are people that are involved in prayer meeting. These are members of the church. We're told that some will depart from the faith, and the reason they do that is because they have itching ears. And there you're going to have some false apostles and some false uh, prophets coming, teaching things. And those itching ears are going to get scratched. Have you ever had a, a bad itch? We've all itched at some point, right? Amen. How do you feel when you scratch that itch? Feels good, doesn't it? Yeah? Amen. Feels good, yeah? Does it feel good? You see, those itches are going to get scratched and it's going to feel so good that some people are going to get swept away. There's a quote in the Spirit of Prophecy that I've read this quote many times and I, I'm a big believer that as Christians, we cannot afford to ever forget the promises God has given to us in His Word. If you look throughout the history of Israel, the history of the church, the biggest problem that God has ever had with his people 
It's not disobedience. It's not idolatry. It's not any of those things. The biggest problem God has ever had with his people, it comes down to one thing. It's the F word. What's the Christian F word? Faith. We always forget what God has revealed. We forget what God has told us. We forget what God has promised. What happens to us when we forget the promises God has made for us? We get overwhelmed with anxiety. We become anxious. We become scared. We fear. And in that, we make bad decisions. We cannot forget what God has taught us. And there's this quote in the spirit of prophecy that's very powerful. And some of you may may be familiar with it. Sorry, guys, if I could just get the clicker back on the screen. Some of you guys may be familiar with this quote. It says, we have nothing to fear. Like, all right, are we at the end of times? Yeah? Do we believe? Well, do you believe that? You could say no if, you, if you, that's what you believe. Like, be, what do you believe? Be honest, right? But do you believe we're in the end times? Some of you do. Most of you do, all right? Do you believe Jesus is coming back soon? But you see, the Bible teaches that before Christ comes, are things going to get better in this world or worse? They're going to get worse. We're going to go through, the Bible says, a time of trouble like the world has never seen before. And we're told in the spirit of prophecy that we have nothing to fear for the future. We have nothing to fear except one thing. It's really two things, and we'll see in a moment. It's we have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. Now, I've always looked at this and I've been encouraged by it because I've always looked at it and I said, you know what? It's so true. We have nothing to fear for what's coming unless we forget what God has done for us in the past. Right? You know, sometimes God is good. Out of his, 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 uh, his, his wisdom, he allows us and his mercy, he allows us to go through some trials. And he gets us through those trials because he knows that for some of us, we're going to face even harder trials in the future. And some of those trials that we've gone through, those things are anchors that help us to get through. So when we're going through something, we can look back and we can see how God was faithful. We can see how God led us through and we can... Remember that and we can be encouraged by that and we can say to ourselves, if God brought me through that, I know he will bring me through this, right? And so we're told that we have nothing to fear for the future except we forget that. And so I always used to look at this this quote and just focus on that. And I remember I I was at a church once and I preached a sermon and I shared this quote. And then after I, I had done that, one of the members came to me and says, man, I love that quote. It's so powerful. And I go, yeah, you know. We have nothing to fear for the future unless we forget, you know, how God has led us in the past. And then the guy looked at me and he said, yeah, yeah, but, but that last bit. I'm like, what do you mean that last bit? That last bit, though, it's just as important. He said, it's not just that we forget how God has led us in the past, but look at that last bit. And he's teaching in our past history. And for me, it was a crazy moment because I had read this quote so many times and I had never stopped to focus on that. I was always caught up in the whole thing about how God led us in the past. But this man, this this member from one of my other churches that I was with a couple of years ago pointed out to me that it's not just that, it's that plus he's teaching. In other words, we have nothing to fear for the future unless we forget the way God has led us in the past and... If we forget what God has taught us in the past through his word. His word. 
And that makes so much sense in the context of what we're looking at this morning because we're being told that there is deception coming unlike we have ever seen before. And we know that the only way that we are going to be able to not be deceived is if we know what the Bible teaches. What am I getting at with all of this? What's the name of the sermon this morning? Hodl. What does hodl mean? Hold on for what? Does anyone know where I'm going with this this morning? There's a time of trouble coming in this world like we've never seen before. The only way we can get through it is if we hold on to Jesus and his word for dear life. We cannot afford to let anything cause us to let go of Jesus. This is not the time. If, if, if there was ever a time in the history of this earth, this is not the time to let go of Jesus because he's coming back soon. We need to hold on to Jesus and his word for dear life. But you see, one of the ways that the devil is going to get us with this deception in the last days is not just by signs and wonders. But I want to go back for a moment to that, that, that thing that Timothy mentioned about itching ears. And this is something that I want us to just have a little think about. These last two years, we've seen things happen in this world that none of us have ever lived through or experienced before. None of us. None of us. The world just changed in a moment, didn't it? Everything got shut down. You weren't allowed to go out. You weren't allowed to go and speak to your neighbor. You weren't allowed to catch up with your friends. You weren't allowed to go visit your family. Not only that, but a mandate came out forcing you to get something that many of you didn't want to get. And you were forced to do it. And you were forced in the sense that if you don't do it, you can't work. What if you don't work? Then you can't feed your family, right? Like, this is crazy what happened these last two years. But that's just the beginning of what's probably coming. Because at the end of the day, there is something much greater than a vaccine mandate that's coming. And it's the mark of the beast. And you can't do nothing if you don't get that mark. You can't buy or sell. You can't live. We've seen the world change in the last two years like we have never before. And I've noticed some things. I've noticed some Seventh-day Adventists, because of what happened, start to change their view on certain Truths that we understand as Seventh-day Adventists because there were preachers that were sharing messages and their, their ears were itching and the preachers were scratching those ears. I'll give you an example. I came across a group of Adventists that during the pandemic started preaching that the vaccine was the mark of the beast. You may have come across some of them. Seventh-day Adventists preaching that the vaccine is the mark of the beast because it made sense for them. Because there were preachers that were showing all of these charts and pictures. And the truth was, in many situations around the world, you couldn't buy or sell unless you got the vaccine. And so some preachers were able to twist it in a way that many Adventists got caught up with that. And they were out there sharing and telling people in the church, don't get the vaccine because it's the mark of the beast. Do you see the danger? The devil knows. Your greatest fears. The devil knows your greatest worries. The devil is going to press you on that and bring messages about that when you hear them, it's going to scratch that itch 
And if you're not careful, you're going to be swept away. I have a good friend of mine from back in the day that during this whole pandemic scenario, he became a very kind of prominent voice on social media. Very anti-everything, anti-government, anti-pandemic, anti-vaccine mandates, like you name it. He was at the protest, like this was my friend, right? And one day I had shared a quote on social media. I shared a quote, uh, a little post, or right? I posted something, and I just simply said, normal isn't coming back, but Jesus is. Ended up being like one of the most shared posts I ever posted, right, on, on social media. But I posted that, 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 and this friend, I hadn't spoken to him in a while, but I had been watching his, his, his pages on, on social media and all the videos he's uploading, and I've seen how into all of this stuff is, and I saw that he started posting that he's been studying common law, and through common law, he's able to figure out, according to what he believes, that a lot of the things that, you know, the government, the police, and so forth, some of the laws that they claim are laws, aren't actually laws under common law, and if you know common law, you can kind of defend yourself against them, and you know those guys that post the videos when the police stop them, and they give them a hard time, and they throw all this, this law at them, and the police just, oh, just Go away, just be on your way. One of those guys, right? Anyways, he saw my post and he called me one day and he says, hey man, I, I, just, I just wanted to talk to you about what you posted. Normal isn't coming back, Jesus is, right? And he asked me, he says, do you really believe that? And I said, yeah, man, I believe that with all my heart. Amen. Jesus is coming back soon. Amen. He says, all right. And we start talking and then as we're talking, you know, he says something interesting to me. He says, man, he goes, I don't know if I should tell you. You know when someone says that to you, like, you just want to know, what, do you, what is it, right? I do it to my wife all the time. Just, Why do you tell me? He goes, oh, I don't know if I should tell you. I came across something. I don't know if I should tell you. I go, what is it? He goes, oh, I don't know, man. He goes, to be honest, when I found out, he says, it blew me away. Like, he goes, I, he goes I, I, this is what he said to me. He goes, I really don't want to be responsible for for you losing your faith. Like he's basically telling me that what he knows has, it's this amazing truth that has the ability to, for me to question what I believe. And now I'm even more intrigued than ever. You know, I'm like, so I said to him, I said, I think I'm pretty strong in my faith, man. Like Amen. lay it on me, you know, what, 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 what is it? What's got you so intrigued? He's like, oh, all right, man. All right, I'll tell you. He goes, well, I've been, I've been doing some research and some reading, right? And he goes, I found out that the royal family in England, this is just before Queen Elizabeth died too. Uh, he goes, I found that the royal family in England, they're not the real royal family. They've usurped the throne. I'm like, all right. And he goes, but there is this guy out there and he's the real king. And he's being prepared to come soon and he's gonna take back the throne. And this king is going to use common law and through that, he's going to bring down all the tyrannical governments, you know, all the governments that are imposing vaccine mandates and all that. He's going to bring them all down and he's going to establish this new order. And he says to me, he goes, bro, some people are calling him the Messiah. I'm like, that's interesting, man. Tell me more, you know? And he starts explaining, like, look, listen, we need to be respectful of what people believe. You understand? Like... When someone, I know for some of us, when you hear somebody saying something like that, straight away you want to just argue and listen to them. Just listen to them and understand at the end of the day why it is 
Because this is something that I did. The whole time, I just let him talk. I didn't interrupt. I, I wanted to hear everything he believed. And as I was listening to him, I was overwhelmed by this thought, this feeling. I started to understand so clearly why he was telling me this. I let him finish talking. I said, can I, can, I, can I respond to what you just said? He's like, yeah, like, what do you think, man? I'm like, look, I'll be honest with you, man. Like, I don't believe any of that. Like, but I go, but I understand why you do. You see, I'm a person, I said to him, I live my life based on a belief that this world is not my home. I am somebody that lives my life based on a belief that I know that Jesus is coming back soon. And then when he comes back, this world will be destroyed and he will recreate it anew and we will go and live with him in heaven. I believe that with all my heart and I believe that's what's happening, what's going to happen. But I said, but I know you don't believe that. And he's a, he has a young little, little boy, right? He's a father. And one of the things that I've realized speaking to people in a community over the last couple of years in particular is that non-Christian people are very worried about the future for their kids. It's a very scary world to think about the future when you have little kids. The world's gone mad and it's scary. And so I'm looking at this, I'm analyzing this, I'm hearing him, I'm overwhelmed with this thought and I realize I understand why you say this. I say, listen, I don't believe any of that. I believe this, but I know you don't believe that. So it makes sense to me, I said, that when a theory is proposed to you, that when you hear it, it brings so much hope for the possibility of this. Of course, you're going to believe it. You're going to want that to be real. And then I said to him, as crazy as it sounds, and after I said that, he actually stopped for a moment. He went quiet and he said, yeah, you're right, bro. It does sound crazy, yeah. I said, look, it does, bro. But I get why you, you believe that because inside your heart, you are hoping for some king to come and take over the throne. You're hoping for him to bring down the tyrannical governments, to bring peace on earth. You're hoping for that. You're hoping for a world where there's a brighter future for your little boy. I get that. But you see, the devil is so powerful that he sees the hope and the desires, what we want, those scratches that are on us. And he sends us these things to scratch those itches. Sorry, the itches, not the scratches. To scratch the itches and how easy we can get swept away. Now, when we go out into the world, we need to understand that the world is itching. We need to be compassionate. We need to be patient. We need to be understanding. People are going to come at you with crazy theories. But you need to understand that behind those crazy theories is a deep desire for a better future. But you're able to share with them that there is no better future than one with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is coming back. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, he says... Verse 1 of chapter 5, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. He says, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. 
You see, the Apostle Paul here, he's reminding us, he's saying, listen, Jesus is coming back soon. And when he comes, he's going to come back like a thief in the night, unexpected. He says, but it's not going to be like a thief for you because you're not in darkness. You are waiting for him to come back. It's not going to be a surprise for you. You're going to be waiting for him. He's reminding you, you are not children of the darkness. You're children of the light. He says, therefore... Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, but those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You see, that language, the breastplate of faith and love, what does that remind you of? Doesn't that remind you of Ephesians chapter 6? That's the armor of God. And he tells us in Ephesians that we are to put on the whole armor of God to protect ourselves against the wiles of the devil, the deception of the devil, the manipulation of the devil, the schemes. He's reminding us again. He says, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. You see, Paul understood Paul understood better than anyone that when the Christian dies, they don't go straight to heaven or, or, or if they you know, don't die in Christ, whatever, go to hell. He understood that that's not what happens after death. He understands, as the Bible teaches, that when we die, we sleep until Christ comes back. That's why he says whether we wake or sleep, right? We should be together with him. Because he tells us that when Jesus comes, there will be a resurrection of the living. And he says, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back soon. But the devil knows this too. And he's on his game. And he's trying to bring about deception. And he's going to try to scratch just where you itch. Because he knows the things you're worried about. He knows the things that bring you anxiety and stress. And he wants to bring about messages that are going to take you away from the word, from the scripture, from Jesus. And it's going to take you somewhere else if you're not careful. But it's going to be done in such a way that you're not going to realize at first until it's too late. The only way that we are able to defend ourselves from this deception that's coming is we need to hold on for dear life to Jesus and his word. That's the only way. So I want to leave you with this question this morning. What are you going to hodl? What are you going to hold on to for dear life? The world and the false promises of this world? Or are you going to hold on to Jesus and his word? Are you going to hold on to that which will be destroyed one day? That the Bible says, you know, we're told in the scripture, don't, don't store your riches on earth where the moths and the rust will corrupt it and destroy it. He says, but store your riches where? In heaven. Are you going to hold on to the world or Jesus and his word for dear life? We cannot afford to let go. You need to understand that God is good. You need to understand that God loves you. You know, too much, I believe, historically, maybe we've heard sermons that instead of bringing us closer to Christ, they push us away. Sermons that are focused on works. Sermons that are focused on what you need to do to please God. There's nothing you can do to please God. 
The Bible says that your best attempt of righteousness is filthy rags. You can't please the Lord with what you do. God isn't impressed by your sacrifices and the list that you can come to him with and say, I've done all of this. All that he requires from you. It's not what you can give him. In the words of, uh, what's that famous guy that did the, the, the Christian guy that did the, the Narnia thing? C.S. Lewis. That's his art. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he has this great quote. He says, Jesus isn't interested. He doesn't want what you can give him. All he simply wants is you. That's all he wants. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants a connection with you. And when that connection is established, then you will see a transformation. Then you will see good works and things happening in your life. But that's not what he's interested in. He just wants you. And I want to remind you again, church, you cannot afford to let go of Jesus now. Not at this point. Hold on to him for dear life. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we're so grateful, Father, for the reminder. Thank you for making us aware and bringing to our attention the reality of the times that we're living in. Father, every single one of us, Lord God, have itches in one way or another that need to be scratched. You know our desires, you know our fears, you know our worries, you know our hopes, Lord. But Father, our prayer is this morning that every fear, every worry, that we may bring that to you, Lord, and all the hope and all the joy for the future, Father, we may truly find that in you and only in you. Lord, help us to know you better. Help us, Father, to to know you personally, Lord. Strengthen our relationship, Lord. We ask that you put in our hearts a desire, Father, to seek you. We realize as sinful human beings, it's not a, a natural thing for us to desire you. So we ask, Lord, initiate a desire in our hearts for you. Lord, put a longing in our hearts for you. Help us not to be at peace, Lord, unless we are seeking you, Lord. Unless we are waking up in the morning and we're going on our knees and we're praying to you, Lord. Unless we're trying to do everything that we can to strengthen our relationship with you and know you better, Lord. Help us to know your word. Help us to know what is truth. And help that truth be what grounds us, Lord God, in our faith. So that as, as we move forward, Lord, and Satan tries to deceive even the elect, we are able to withstand the wiles because we are covered by the armor of God. Thank you, Father, for being so good to us. We thank you and we ask for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This message was made available by the Ride Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, 3AM Ride Seventh-day Adventist Church.
would love to tell you what I think of Jesus Since I found in him a friend so strong and true I would tell you how he's changed my life completely He did something that no other friend could do Sandy Patty sang, No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. And coming up next, from Marlita Fong's album, Through It All, this is He Will Carry You.
tip lady and I love giving simple tips to make life more simple. But I've got a question for you. Have you ever felt the sharp sting of criticism? Well I surely have and I bet you have too. My mother-in-law was a musician and a singer and I'm a pianist and she would tell me that the only way to avoid criticism was to never take the stage. Hmm, that's true indeed. She would often remind me that musicians are prime targets for criticism. It was played too slowly, too fast, 
too soft, too loud, too flamboyant, without any style, and so on and on and on and on. Sometimes the criticism would come immediately after a performance when I'd be on a high and still in the musical atmosphere I'd just been creating. Or it could be hurled in the moments when I'd be beating myself up anyway for my perceived failures. Because self-criticism can be the very worst kind. For a whole year I would often remind myself, be kind to me in 2003. Sure, why not? That's when I started to learn to be kind to me. Mum-in-law used to say when she was alive, Marilyn, you must develop a tough hide. Then the stings don't lodge and hurt so much. But does criticism just happen to musicians? No way, it gets hurled at us at every aspect of life. So how to react in the moment? Simply smile and say, thanks for your comment. I'll take that to heart. Then if it was a good point, remember it. And if it's just criticism, without a constructive point, just forget about it. Don't ruminate, no chewing it over and over. Sometimes that person has had a dreadful day and you just happen to be first in line to catch their frustration. So respond with grace and kindness. They just may need it. So that's my tip number one. Respond with grace and kindness. How we respond to criticism is important. We can grow so much because of criticism. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, we're reminded, in everything give thanks. So even if the criticism is totally unfounded, or comes as it sometimes even does from perhaps a jealous heart, we can be thankful for the opportunity to grow in grace and kindness. I've been tempted to defend myself, and I sometimes have. And the only person who really was hurt and looked stupid was me. Some people, though are hyper-focused to look for flaws and they're bound to find them. There might be truth in what they say, so be humble and look for the gold in their criticism. So tip number two is simple. Be humble and look for the gold. And in doing that, we are going to grow. Tip number one, respond with grace and kindness. Tip number two, be humble and look for the gold. So instead of reacting to criticism, we're going to develop dignity, grace and humility, and life will pan out to be a lot more simple. So that's it from the Two Tip Lady today. It's been our pleasure bringing you this program today here on 3ABN Australia Radio.